This is the Life Church Reno podcast. Here at Life Church Reno, we love God, love others, and make a difference. For more information, visit lifechurchreno.com. From wherever you're listening, we pray that this message impacts you. Good morning, Life Church. Uh, my name is Pastor Dusty. I'm one of the, one of the pastors here uh, at the church. Um, I'm also a, a clinical psychologist, and so this week, for those of you that have been following along in our uh, our five week series on the theology of sex and sexuality, uh, know that this one is sexual sins that are done to us. And as I prepared this week, um, it struck me that. Most of the services that we do here, most of the sermons that we do here, we speak into your lives. We bring words of encouragement, we bring words of challenge, we present the gospel in ways that allows it to be born into our hearts. And today's type of message is, it's different, because it's not just about a life, it's about your story. And for some of you, for some of you, you know all too well the story of sexual sins done to us and how those impact our lives. And so today, as, as we open up the scripture and as we start to walk down this path, I know for some of you this is gonna bring up spaces in your minds and in your hearts that maybe you haven't entered into in a long time. Some of you might be in the middle of this. For some of you, this might have recently happened. I understand that and I want you to know that God sees you, and he sees your pain, and he sees your story, and not only does he see it, but he wants to provide freedom. So open your Bibles, if you would, to the book of Psalm, chapter 34, verse 18. That was a very minimal cheer, I get it. It was kind of, kind of a dark intro. Uh, yes, I did, thank you. Psalm 34, 18, I'm reading out of the Message Bible. Message translation, sorry. Not a different Bible, same Bible, different translation. If your heart is broken, you'll find God right there. If you're kicked in the gut, he'll help you catch your breath. Psalm 56, eight, I really like this verse. This is again in the Message translation. You've kept track of my every toss and turn through the sleepless nights, for each tear entered into your ledger each ache written in your book. You see, we don't have a God that is separate from our story. When Jesus came down and he walked this earth and he died on the cross and he was resurrected and went to heaven, he didn't leave us here to be alone. He enters into our lives and he enters into our stories in ways that are so beautiful and so amazing. And yet, even as I say that, I know for some of you, that journey and that process is so difficult. You see, you might hear scriptures like that and then you might say, well, that's great, he keeps, the, 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 keeps all my tears in a ledger, but, but okay, great, I'm still stuck, I still feel terrible, I still have difficulty with intimacy. How does this impact me? Why won't, why won't these things change? And so today what I wanna do is I wanna walk through the process of trauma, how it gets ingrained into our psyches and our souls and in our hearts 
how we can identify the false beliefs and how we can move towards the process of healing because it is a process. And that's the title of today's message is the healing process. You see, we know that this is a big deal. Almost every single person in here today has been touched by sexual sins done to us in some way, in some shape, in some form. The extreme versions of this of molestation, stories of incest, stories of rape, stories of coerced sex, stories of date rape. Other versions of this, of adultery, being left to feel like I'm not enough, this person cheated on me, the constant lying, the gaslighting, the porn addiction that keeps coming back up, and not just for the person that looks at porn, we preached about sexual sins last week, but for the issues of how it affects the other person. Why am I not good enough? All of these things create trauma. We know this is a big deal. Intuitively, we know it. We see the stats everywhere. 20 to 40% of people that present with psychiatric disorders have some sort of childhood sexual trauma. One out of six of adolescents age 14 to 17 has experienced sexual violence within the past year. One out of three women has experienced sexual trauma at some point in their lifespan the majority of these occurring before the age of 24. One out of six men has, occurrence, has, has um, been the victim of sexual trauma, most of these occurring before the age of 18. Not always, but most of the time. We know that this is a big deal. Last decade after the Me Too movement, we saw in the next year a 40% increase of reported sexual trauma meaning that just high-profile cases like Harvey Weinstein, just that coming out into the public gave people that little bit of that freedom and that confidence that I too can own my story, that I too can begin to tell my story. We, we see this, we know this. I would guess that these numbers are off. I would guess that these numbers are way higher than we could ever imagine. Beth Moore said this, and I, I love this quote. She said that early sexual abuse shapes our identity and later sexual abuse can destroy our identity. And we know this to be true. So I'm gonna take a few minutes here and I'm gonna play psychologist uh, nerd out session. And so you guys gotta bear with me because I, I think it's important for us to understand how the identity develops, how the brain works, how the brain kind of processes all of these things together. Your identity is not fully formed until after the age of 18. For all the teenagers in the room, I'm sorry. You're not fully developed. You're not fully awesome humans. For adolescent girls, your, your sense of identity, your prefrontal cortex uh, fully develops at around 19 to 21 years old. For males, your prefrontal cortex does not fully develop until you are 23 to 25. Every parent in favor of raising the age that your son can get a driver's license, please raise your hands. Adolescent boys should not be driving. Um, your sense of identity does not fully develop until your brain is fully developed. Okay. I want you guys to picture your brains like a giant warehouse. And you were born with this warehouse. You have the template for everything that's set up. Think about a warehouse, it's a system. There's a bunch of rows. There's a, there's a bunch of things going on. There's stuff going on at the front. Everything's moving around, but it is a well-organized system. That is your brain. All of us come into the world with that brain, with that template. 
All of us also come into the world with four basic needs as babies. We want to be seen, we want to be soothed, we want to feel safe, and we want to feel secure. Those are our four needs. And when you have those needs met as a baby, and we all know this intuitively, when a baby comes out, it wants to be seen. When the baby cries, it's in distress, it wants to be soothed. The baby wants to feel safe as their identity develops and they start to grow and they get two and then they want to wander off and they want to try different things. They come back. Why do they come back? They want to feel secure, secure with you and then secure to go out. Okay, so these are the kind of four basic needs that exist in our brain. And now we have warehouse and then now we have trauma. Now we have a moment. Early childhood, middle childhood, adolescence, early adulthood, later in adulthood. Now we have this moment where trauma enters our life and there is a disruption in the warehouse. There's a cleanup on aisle three, but our brains don't know how to clean it up. You see, this is the way that our brains operate, right to left, back to front. That's the way our brains operate. Right side of the brain, it processes negative emotion. Left side of the brain processes positive emotion. We image everything on the right side of our brain, especially when there's negative emotion associated with it. Right side of the brain is creativity, it's our imagination. So when we experience a trauma, we image it on the right side of our brain through negative emotion. It also activates the back part of the brain where the fight or flight system is located. And, and you love that system. That system is good at getting you out of trouble if you see a mountain lion in the mountains. But when you have trauma, that system gets activated. That's right next to your amygdala, which is responsible for anger, which is also right next to the hippocampus, which is responsible for memory. Okay, why am I saying all this? When trauma occurs in our brains, we image it on the right side of our brain, our fight or flight system kicks on, and then those systems then relay the information to our prefrontal cortex and the left side of our brain. Front part of the brain's your executive functioning, it's your organization, attention, concentration, impulse control, emotion, um, emotional regulation. Left side of the brain, problem solving, language, that's where our sense of identity is located. So when you go through trauma, your brain tells you who you are. No, it's not truly who you are. It's a false sense of identity. And we begin to create structures and ways that we live in the world and where this, this trauma that has now impacted who we are, we, we go out in the world and then, and then we just, we live from this place. Okay. Our first point is this. Fighting for truth. Why is this important? Because the, the identity that develops after trauma has occurred in the brain is this. And we can have a ton of these. I just I wrote out a list of things. The fear of abandonment, the fear of isolation, the fear of being alone, the fear of being intimate both physically and emotionally, the fear of being out of control, the fear of being controlled, the fear of others' negative emotions, unworthy of love and grace towards another person or from God to us. I feel less of a person, I feel defective. Okay, what is, the underlying, <clears throat> what is the underlying issue in all of these things? Excuse me. It's shame. Shame speaks to our sense of identity. Shame says this happened to me and so I am now damaged. I am less of a person. 
So now how does this play out in our lives as, as we begin to have these fears and these anxieties and this shame-filled focus of who we are in the world? Every time the person, people that are close to us start to feel like, oh gosh, they might be leaving me, the fear and the anxiety freaks out. The right side of the brain lights up like a Christmas tree. And it, it's, it says we have, to, we have to stop this. We can't let this person leave because if they leave, then I'm not okay. If they leave, I might be hurt again. That makes me vulnerable. Every time someone has big emotions coming at us, right side of the brain kicks on. I, I have to get away from this. This feels out of control. I have a great sense. I, I, I have to be in control at all times. Your house may be amazingly clean, but emotionally on the inside, you're a disaster because the clean house represents I'm safe, I'm okay, I've made everything okay. And so this, this false sense of identity of who we are in the world begins to emerge this plays out behaviorally in a lot of different ways. We can end up going towards abusive relationships because that's what we deserve. We can end up having lots of indiscriminate sexual behaviors with lots of partners. One, because that's all I'm good for. That's all my body's good for. That's the false belief that's, that's entered into us. Addictions to pornography, alcohol, drugs to cover up the difficult emotions that come up. Fear of physical intimacy, fear of emotional intimacy, anger. If I stay in control with my anger, then no one can hurt me. No one can get close to me. No one can know the real me, the, the, the person on the inside that's that, that small, wounded person that, that's so vulnerable. If I show that, then what happens? Anger, being paralyzed, depression, anxiety, panic attacks, leaky emotions. Okay, the point of all of these things is that is the false identity that emerges to us. I want you to turn with me in your Bibles to Matthew chapter nine. Matthew chapter nine, verses 20 to 22. This is why I called this fighting for truth because we have a savior that fights for truth and fights for truth in our identities. Just then a woman who had suffered for 12 years with constant bleeding came up behind him. She touched the fringe of his robe. And I wanna stop right there. Just then a woman came up behind him. Women in this culture, if you were on your menstruation cycle, had to go outside the community, could not be around other people. You couldn't touch other people. Blood was seen as unclean. I have to be separate, I have to be separated. This woman has bled constantly for 12 years. For 12 years she has walked around, everyone knowing who she is. Everyone giving her that look, don't get close to me. How does she go to the market and get food? How does she go to the well and get water? How does she worship in the temple? She's not worthy, she's unclean. And she sees Jesus, she sees a savior, and she says, that guy, there's some pretty cool stuff happening with that guy. If I can only get close, and if I could just touch his garment, but I can't approach him, I can't have a conversation with him, why? It's the false identity of shame, that I am a shame-filled person, that I am worth nothing. Because I've had this issue, I, and all these people look at me in the way that they look at me. I have this thing inside me that's broken. I can't get close. But if I just sneak up behind and just get a touch, maybe I'll be healed. Maybe I'll be whole. And this is the awesome thing that our Savior does. She touched the fringe of his robe. 
For she thought, if I can just touch his robe, I will be healed. And Jesus turned around, and when he saw her, he said, daughter. Another scripture says that Jesus felt the power go out of his body, and he turned around, and he said, daughter. He didn't say woman. He didn't say person. He said, daughter. He labeled her who she actually was. He called her by her true sense of the identity of who she actually was, daughter. He said it in front of everyone. There was a multitude around him. Everyone knows who that person is, and he said, daughter. He's speaking to her sense of identity. Be encouraged, your faith has made you well. Then the woman was healed at that moment. You see, behind our false identities, there's truth, and God speaks into that truth. He speaks into who we are. He speaks into all the aspects of our lives, and he calls us out. And so this false sense of identity that some of you have developed from the trauma, that's not the real you. And we're gonna get into how to unpack this thing and how to, how to navigate some of these things here. As we move into our second point, it's wrestling with the process. Before we go into some of these things, I want you guys to watch this, uh, this video from Pastor Claire. I was abused and sexualized as a young girl to my early teens, and I kind of held uh, in the back of my mind or kind of, um, kind of stuffed it uh, for a good portion of my life. Throughout the course of my life, there were a lot of moments where it would come up, and kind of like a pressure cooker, you, I would like let the lid off a little bit to just kind of let enough pressure out uh, and maybe see a counselor, maybe uh, talk to someone about it, but usually it was just enough to get back to a state where I didn't feel quite so out of control. I do think that um, just our sexuality in general is one of the more powerful things that God has given us. And so when there's damage in that area, it is, it is deep and it becomes the devil's playground. The devil is well aware of the power of this area of our life. And so I think he steps in and just has a heyday with it if you let him. Probably the biggest thing, which I see as the biggest tool of the enemy, is shame. And he, he takes something like this, or have an experience like this in your life, he brings such shame that he tells you that you're not worthy and that you're not worth protecting, that you're, there's something wrong with you and that this is not, you have to hide, that you have to hide this and you can't tell anyone or you can't, um, bring it out into the light. There's a certain level of bondage that Satan wants to keep us in. And, and when you go through an experience like this, it's almost like it's all, it, there's, it's so complex. And there's, it's like you take this big ball of yarn, it's all wadded up and tangled up and you just shove it down there as far as you can because you don't want to deal with it. And so the core, the process of kind of unwinding it and pulling those things out, it can get messy. And isn't that just like him? He wants to keep everything in the dark. Yet, God says that he has rescued us from the kingdom of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of light. And only when you bring this into the light 
can God then step in and bring healing and wholeness? Uh, what happened with me is that God, as he was compassionately um, walking me through this experience and protecting me, my heart, at the same time, he showed me that you forgive the way I've forgiven you. And he showed me the truth that that forgiveness is not in proportion to the offender's repentance, but rather in proportion to God's grace and forgiveness of you. And that was huge for me. God had taught me from early on in my experience that God's goal for us is this amazing redemption. We get to live out the gospel as we walk through our pain, and we get to have this revelation of who God is on a deep and intimate level that cannot be provided outside of our pain. Something that man meant for evil, God used for good and grew me through it and, and walked me through it. And I pray that it would be something that could encourage other people as well. So I just encourage you, my friend, with the greatest amount of compassion that to step forward into God's healing because you can trust that He is loving, He is trustworthy, and He will carry you through. Thank you, Pastor Claire, for sharing your story. You see, it's not lost on me that, as I was listening to that, I'm trying to listen to it through the lens of some of your stories that are in here. There's some of you in this room that have never told anyone about what happened, about that story when you were six or 10 at camp, or that church leader or that school person or that coach, or that uncle, or that parent. Some of you have never talked about it. Maybe even your spouse doesn't know about it. And so you watch something like that, which is powerful. It's part of the process. But you watch that and the enemy immediately says, you can't have that. And see, you're just supposed to forgive. That's all you're just supposed to do. Just forgive, just forgive, and just it'll all be good. And, and then the devil uses and he twists God's words and he takes them and he makes them back into shame, which keeps it hidden inside of you. And I want each and every person here to, to hear what I'm saying. God loves you where you are at, no matter what part of the story you are at. And wrestling with the process looks exactly like what Pastor Claire described. The shame, the overwhelming emotions, going out, reaching for help, starting to share your story. The shame, the overwhelming emotions, starting to share your story. And see, the more that you begin to walk through this, the less power it begins to have over your life. And the enemy will tell you, you can't share your story. You're unworthy. Your story's unlike anyone else's in the world, and it's not. The way to get out of the false identities that we live in when trauma is present is to start to tell your story. Start to tell. And what does this mean? It doesn't mean you go tell the gas station attendant this afternoon 
or your neighbor. Just don't freak your neighbor out. What it means is that you begin to start to tell your story. Some of you need to have a conversation with your spouse. I can't do that. They, they can't know that about me. Okay, if you can't start there, find a sister in Christ to start to tell your story. Find a brother in Christ to start to tell your story. I can't tell you how many men come into my office and sit down for therapy and we get six months down the road dealing with depression or anxiety or panic attacks and then all of a sudden it's, oh yeah, I had this happen to me from the ages of eight to 12. Yeah, that was a thing. Why? They finally felt comfortable to be able to start to share their story. And the devil's gonna tell you that you can't do that. The devil's gonna tell you that everyone's gonna reject you and everyone's gonna leave you, but they're not. And the reason that we have to start to, to tell our story is because shame lies in the darkness. You see, guilt causes us to move towards a relational wound. Pastor Rob texted me a week and a half ago. I didn't respond to his text. That really hurt his feelings. I'm joking, it didn't really hurt his feelings. But he told me about it. I felt guilty. Gosh, I'm really sorry I didn't text you back. That's guilt. I felt bad for not responding to someone, right? Shame does the opposite. Shame causes us to stay away from relationships. It pushes us away. It, it tries to isolate us and keep us in the darkness that we have to begin to start to share our story. Why? Because we don't even know our stories. If we go back to the beginning of this sermon when I talked about what the brain does, it imprints your identity onto you and that false sense of self that you then live from. As you begin to start to tell your story, you begin to realize the false beliefs that you have so deep inside of your psyche. And once you begin to identify those false beliefs, I wanna walk you through some very practical things here over the next couple of minutes, because I don't wanna leave you guys empty-handed today walking out of here. I know this process is difficult, but there's an acronym that I like to use. It's called SNAP. It's easy to remember, SNAP. Stop, notice, ask, and pivot. And every time that false belief pops up, every time it pops up, and the more you practice this, the better you get at it, I want you to stop. You just stop right where you're at. There's the emotion, there's the thought, there's the false belief. I'm not gonna be enough. I have to stop, I can't go there. I can't deal with these person's emotions. And I want you to notice it. Noticing it means we're setting it on the table. I'm not criticizing myself or beating myself up. I'm just noticing it. I'm just looking at it. And ask yourself three questions. What am I believing about myself right now? Is it accurate? And how would my life look different if I chose to let go of this belief? And the more that you practice that, what you're doing is you're pushing against the false identity. And not only are you pushing against the false identity, you are actually changing the way that your brain processes trauma, that your brain processes difficult emotions, that your brain, you are changing your, your neuronal structures at the deepest levels, which is why this thing is a process that walking through the process of healing, it doesn't happen overnight. It's not a prayer. It's not singing a song. And sometimes, especially the church community, we read these scriptures and we read about the promises of God and they are true. They are true. 
but the process of walking out healing from trauma is just that, it is a process. We don't have a savior that leaves us alone in this process that he sees all of us, all of the time. And the more that you walk out this process in the context of community, telling your story, this week in Digging Deeper, we didn't put questions. For those of you in small groups this week, I, I understand, You're, you don't have to talk about all this stuff at your life groups this week, but in Digging Deeper, you can find that on the Bible app. You can also go to Life Church Reno, hit the watch button, and below the video in the comment section, you will see a resource section. You click on that link. There is a list of some of my favorite books on shame and trauma. I have podcasts that are about shame and trauma. There's a list of therapists in the Reno area that, that as a church body, we trust these people. They're, they're Christ followers. There's different types of therapy that are there. There's personality assessments to begin to understand yourself a little bit better. There is a self-authoring suite that helps you to begin to write about your story. We don't want to leave you guys empty-handed because we want you guys to begin to lean into these things, but you have to find community because once you begin to share your story, then you can begin to feel seen and soothed and safe and secure. And our last point is this, and we're done, is resting in grace. Isaiah 53, verses four and five says, surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his wounds, we are healed. The transgressions that were done upon you. The iniquities that were done upon you. Yeah, but you don't know. I had this, this trauma happen, and then, and then for the next five years, I, I, just, I, I slept with way too many people, or I got addicted to pornography, so that, uh, now I have sexual sin, so I need to repent of the sexual sin. But you're not realizing the trauma that's back here. Christ saw you. Crucifixion was such a horrid way to die that the Romans wouldn't even talk about it outside of the context of doing it. It was seen, it was in that day and culture, it was seen to be uncouth. It was something that was not talked about at the dinner table or in professional circles. It was not mentioned, but it was done. It was such a horrid death. And Christ took that upon you in the gospel story as he was stripped and beaten and crushed and by his stripes you are healed in the process of healing, that he took all of these things upon himself, that he became the most vulnerable, that he became the ultimate victim, that he became all of the shame, all of your shame, all of the shame in this room, all of the shame in this world, all of the shame for every person that has existed and will exist. He took that weight upon himself. Why? because he cares so much for you, because he wants so much to see his truth born out into your life, that he's constantly talking to our identities. The Bible story is just that, it is full of story. We see Jesus coming off the cross, being resurrected. One of the things he does is he goes and he visits Peter, has him make breakfast for him. 
Peter has denied him three times. He's gone back to fishing. I had my chance. Peter is full of shame. What does Jesus do? He says, Peter, do you love me? Yes, Lord, you know I love you. Hey, Peter, do you love me? Yes, Lord. Hey, Peter, do you love me? It's three times. We don't know how many times Jesus actually said it, but what's, what's Jesus doing? He's speaking to his identity. He's speaking to Peter. He's saying to Peter, hey, Peter, you've got some trauma. You've got some shame. You did this thing. You did the thing. I told you where you were gonna do the thing, and you went and you did it anyways, and now you're back fishing. You're back in this old identity, and, and Peter, I, I want you to know I want you to go feed my sheep. I want you to go do something. Why is Jesus doing that? Because he knows. He knows that he has to change at the identity piece for Peter to go do what God has called him to do because here's the beautiful thing. Our brains, when they're running at the optimal level, which none of us are optimal, so don't worry about that, but the right side of our brain is full of creativity and imagination. But the problem is, is that when we're dealing with past negative emotions that haunt us, that we can't imagine the future. I love this quote from Kurt Thompson. He's a psychiatrist. He said, when I am busy managing my shame, I am using energy that is meant to be creating something beautiful out of vulnerability. Something beautiful out of vulnerability. You see, the right sides of our brains, when they are free from shame and negative emotion, and just trying to keep ourselves alive, they can imagine the future. They're meant to create beauty. That out of the right sides of our brains, we can imagine a future that is whole, that is wholesome, that is full of the grace of God. Because this starts with telling our stories and beginning to understand our stories and beginning to invite Christ in to speak truth to our stories. And it happens in the context of community. Let us be a church that knows each other's stories, that walks with each other through our stories. Because when someone's vulnerable with you, you feel the openness to be vulnerable with them. Find someone today. Do not walk out of here alone. Do not walk out of here alone. If you are bound up with shame, with darkness, We'll have prayer people up here at the front. Begin the process. If you're in the middle of the process, continue the process. If you told your story, but you don't understand your story or you don't understand the fall, keep working, keep moving because there is freedom and that is a process and God loves each and every one of you right where you're at, no matter where you're at, no matter how far you go down the process, no matter if it's five steps forward, 10 steps back, God loves you where you are. Let me pray for you. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, I pray that your grace and your mercy and your peace be on every person here today, every person watching online. Lord, this week, as things begin to pop up, as the enemy begins to come in, say that's not real, what you heard isn't right, you're different, you don't need to pick up that phone and have a conversation, I pray that your grace overrides that voice 
that your sense of truth comes into each of their hearts, grabs them where they're at. I pray protection over them. And I pray as they walk out the path of freedom that you walk with them because you are always with us. You never forsake us. And Lord, I thank you for all of these things. In your name we pray, amen. Thank you for listening to the Life Church Reno podcast. Remember to subscribe to hear more messages like this, and we'll see you soon.